Good morning, church. That is the anthem for our time together right there. I hope that you have come ready to go to war, not with flesh and blood, but with our spirit that's living inside of us, that we would walk away today transformed and different because of the word of God and the spirit of God that allows us to do so. So I want to encourage you at this time, pull out that Bible, grab the notebook that you brought with you, get that bulletin ready, shake off that pumpkin spice fog that you walked in with today, and let's get into God's Word. Before we do, I want to celebrate a few folks uh, over the last uh, week that have made decisions and are walking in new freedoms of their life, including last Saturday night, Jessica Guthrie, who came and she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ through baptism. Also on Wednesday night, we had Mike and Vicki Ryder who were here last night. They joined as members here at Memphis Christian Church, both believing in who Jesus is and what he's done. And then lastly, I want to make you aware of a student that has just stepped into a new role. This is Michael Sissel. He's in high school right now, and he is currently our children's ministry intern on the lower level. And Michael's going to spend the next couple of months learning how to lead, uh, preparing classrooms, and making sure that he's figuring out this mission that God has called him into. And so when you see Michael running around or setting things up, or when you go downstairs and you pick up your kids, I hope that you'll encourage him, whether that's through words of affirmation or a gift card to one of the places next door like McDonald's or Arby's because the brother needs to eat, right? And so make sure that you encourage him both in words and in action. It's always a joy to celebrate these things that are going on in the lives of the people here. And I want to know, we as a staff, we as a body want to know what's going on in your life as well. And so inside of your bulletin, as Jake mentioned earlier, there's a welcome home card for you to let us know some ways that God is working in your life, some discoveries that you're making about him, or some next steps that he is calling you into. Go ahead in your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Over the past 10 months, we've been walking through our Bible in this church reading plan called the F260. And this week, we read about Paul's letters to the church in Galatia. We also read about his words to the early church leaders in Acts and then also in 1 Thessalonians. And what Paul is trying to do here in the early church is he's trying to direct them to what the most important thing is in their walk with Jesus. Already, within a short amount of time, things have begun to seep into the early church that have to do a lot with heritage, have to do a lot with the law that they already knew, but also from others who were coming in to share things that were not true. And the reasons why he's coming to these churches and he's convincing people of the truth is because there are those that are trying to say that there is works that save that there is law keeping that now we must remain under. But Paul makes it very clear throughout these chapters this week and as we're gonna learn today, that it is only faith in Christ that we have salvation. That should cause in us a great joy as believers today. That there is not a work that we have to do to earn our way to heaven. 
but rather Christ has already paid the price. Our decision is whether or not we accept that gift that he has given to us. But as Paul shares this, the Jewish listeners and also the now Gentile listeners are trying to understand why it is that God gave this law in the first place and what part of this applies to the believer's life today. Paul here in Galatians chapter five is setting the stage for both the Jew and the Gentile to see that it is not by law keeping or works that we receive our justification or our acceptance. Let's look at verse one. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Jump down to verse six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul is helping the early church understand that it is not by these outward actions, the cutting of the flesh through circumcision, the law keeping that the people are able to approach God and to receive salvation. He's leading them to think in a way in which it is Jesus who has paved this path for us. But under this new covenant of grace, there is an internal and an external change. There is a contrast between the way in which we want to live and the way in which God desires us to live because of our flesh. And on one hand, we can walk in our flesh, which will lead to our defeat, or we can choose to walk in the spirit, which is that victory. Here, Paul begins to command the believers to walk in the victory of the spirit, and in doing so, we'll be able to display the character of Christ. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. If you have a pen or a highlighter, this is a great passage for you to underline or circle, specifically looking at that our flesh is in conflict with our spirit so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This week, our students spent quite a bit of time walking um, on a three-day mission trip that they were on from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It was a local mission where we spent the first day down on the west end of Louisville in Portland, being able to help them with a few projects and engaging some time with folks in a park and sharing the good news of Jesus. We then made our way over to Lifeline Christian Mission the next day where we were a part of doing a food packing project and our students specifically packed for a place in Kenya that is sharing the gospel through also a feeding program. And our students were able to pack over 3,000 meals during that visit to Lifeline. From there, we made our way over. Don't clap. Yeah, we got more to talk about. From there, we made our way over down to Scottsburg to New Life International. New Life International is special to us because we had the opportunity back in March through our Guatemala missions team to take one of these water filters that they helped assemble parts for 
And they were able to install that in a local school in Guatemala that is pumping fresh water today um, because of what it is that New Life is doing there. And so I say all of that to just encourage you and to encourage me that God's mission, the walk of our life, is not something that we have to get on a plane to go and do. The mission, the walk of our life is in our everyday coming and going. His mission is in your own backyard. And we can now celebrate the students that were a part of walking in that way this week. But in the same way, we all have been invited to walk into the purpose of our life, which is the pursuit of knowing God and making him known. But in order for us to truly experience what it is that God desires for us and how to walk with him, we must do so in the Spirit. We must do so in the reliance of him and not me. And we also need to understand that the pursuit of God, this journey of faith, is not one that we arrive to at some point in our life. That we don't get to this place with Jesus where we say, man, I am right there. I have arrived in my Christian experience. I am in the fullness of what it is that God desires. Because of our flesh, there is always going to be things in which he is working out in contrast to our own desires. And that road that he leads us on is not one that is paved with ease and it's not one that's paved with comfort either. In fact, just as we heard last week, James chapter one, verse two says, consider it pure joy, my friends, that whenever you face trials, because we will, know that these are the testing of your faith and they produce perseverance. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. You see, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not only are we sealed for salvation, but we are also being led. But as we're led, we need to know that the Spirit of God living inside of us is at war with our flesh that still desires the cravings for the things that satisfy its sinful nature. In other words, even though the Spirit of God is living in us, our flesh still desires its cravings for the things that satisfy those sinful desires that live within. This battle, this tension that we face is something that we don't just deal with once. It is a daily action of choosing whether I'm gonna walk in defeat or whether I'm gonna walk in victory. Neil Anderson, in his book, The Bondage Breaker, he puts it this way. He said, you brought to your Christian commitment a fully conditional mindset and a lifestyle developed apart from God and centered around yourself. Yes, you were born physically alive, but spiritually dead. You neither had the presence of God nor the knowledge of God's ways. So you learned to live your life independent of him. Your flesh patterns are the ways you've learned to find life, to live life, and to make life work without depending on God. Consequently, he says, we are all still tempted to look at the world 
the flesh, and the devil to meet our basic needs, our carnal desires, instead of looking at Christ, who promises to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Know this, that every temptation is an enticement to live independently from God. That is why sin so entangles. This is why sin is so attractive to us. This is why it's so easy to fall into it. Because in sin, we feel as if we have an independence and ownership and authority over our own life and our own decision making. When my friends, that is not at all what we were designed or created for. In fact, this was the very fall in the beginning of Genesis when Eve reasoned in her mind, Adam in the same way, said it would be good to eat the fruit because it looks good to eat. Even though God said, I am not, I choose to. In the following verses, Paul begins to lay out this contrast of our flesh and the contrast of the spirits. And as we walk through these acts, this fruit, I want you to make note on your outline or in your Bibles to some of these things that stand out to you as descriptors of walking in defeat or walking in victory. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Notice these first three have to do specifically with sexual sin. The next two have to do with false worship, like idolatry and witchcraft. Then these next eight have to do with a conflict that is internal and also external. Listen to the descriptors. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. All things that we can feel internally, but also we can display externally. And then the last two represent a life that has no restraint, no self-control like drunkenness, orgies, or things alike. It's important that as we look through this list, it's not an exhaustive list. In fact, that's why it ends with the and those alike statements. Even still though, without a doubt, there are markers of defeat from this list that you and I can sign our name under because we have walked or we are currently walking in them, both as unbelievers and as believers. Can you see those in your life? If you are unable to, then you are probably lying. And so because of that, you can chalk that up also with sinful act of the flesh. <laughs> the truth is, is that we have all fallen short and we continue to do so. And this is why verse 21 hits harder than if we didn't. Look at it here. It says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now remember, the context of this passage that Paul is sharing with the church is that we are not saved by works, right? 
but rather we have been given freedom in Christ so that we would not indulge ourselves in the flesh any longer. So in other words, my life, if I have God's spirit living inside of me, is going to lead me to a place where I am convicted of these things and want to then surrender those to Christ. But if my life has no conviction, if I desire to not do these things anymore, then it would be a revealing action of the fact that God's spirit has not made its dwelling within me. And my friends know that it is God's spirit given through Christ Jesus that saves us, not by works, right? So that no one would be able to boast. This does not mean as Christians we will never sin. Sadly, we will. But if my life is marked only by defeat, my own works, the acts of the flesh, then there has not been a true surrender to God's invitation to trust Jesus. And so because of that, I will not inherit the kingdom of God because I never have trusted him in the first place. It's through our acceptance and surrender that we receive God's spirit whose work is evident both in the conviction of my flesh and the fruit, as we're getting ready to talk about here, of walking in victory. Again, I want us to make notes at some of these places that are evident as God transforms us. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, As I read through those this week, I thought of our own mind and how these pieces of the fruit have to do with the habits of our minds. The next three are focused on how we demonstrate them to others. Patience, kindness, goodness. And then the last three have to do with our character to the core. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, before we get into the practical application of how we walk in these things in our everyday life, it's important for us to notice the use of words, or really the use of one specific uh, letter that's in there. And this week, I was reminded of the importance of the use of words as I found myself on Friday losing something that was so valuable to me. My precious beard has gone to be on the floor somewhere, as you've noticed. I am not in a midlife crisis, and no, I am not trying to look more like Dave as I preach and teach. But what happened was, is I took Kelsey up to the Columbus shops, and I normally have a barber that takes care of my hair, and after three days of being out on mission this week, it was kind of wild and crazy. If you came to midweek, you saw a little bit of that action. And so I just Googled the closest place that was to the Columbus shops and made my way over there. It was totally fine, right? Well, I get in there, and uh, they look like they've got the right clippers, look like it's going to be a great place to get a good fade, which I did get, Um, but the gentleman that cut my hair um, wasn't the greatest at speaking English. Um, He was from a Hispanic background, which is cool, because I've been working on my Spanish since we went to Guatemala, been really practicing some things there, and so I sit down in the chair, and uh, he gets the top rights looking good, we're having great conversation, and then we get to the final part, which is the beard. And uh, he pulls out the clippers that he used up here and he said, you know, beard? And I said, yes, clean it up. (laughs) Clean that up, man. And uh, 
I thought that maybe he was gonna start up here and work his way down and clean it up. But because of our barrier of understanding, specifically the words that I was using, he took that fine, wonderful razor and he went straight down the center of my face. There was no going back. And because of the fact that I have a face that does not uh, hold back any feelings or emotions, he could tell immediately that he had done something terribly wrong. And so he says to me, so funny, he goes, sorry, English not good for me. (laughs) And I said, no worries, just take care of the rest of it. And so he did. And so for the last couple days, my face has been two shades of uh, tan because this part of my face has not seen the sun for four years. But today you have the great gift of being able to see that. Again, the fruit of the spirit, the acts of the flesh, they have a difference in their wording. Look at verse 19. It uses a plural sense of the word, right? It is acts of the flesh specifically the S on the end. But if you look at verse 22, what do you see? It says fruit. It says fruit of the flesh. And that's, I'm sorry, fruit of the spirit. Thank you, Bill. That's important for us. Because the difference is, is that the acts of the flesh are individualized. Whereas the fruit of the spirit is one package. It is not a pick and choose basket of the things in which I now have because of God. The fruit of the spirit is all given to us because of our surrender in Jesus. And that's really important for us because I think sometimes in our life as a Christian, we say things like, I'm just not as faithful as you, or I'm just not as patient as others, or I'm just not as loving or kind or go down the list that's there. And you're right. You are not any of those things because of your flesh and because of your sin that is still actively a participant of that. But God's spirit is all of those things and has given you all of those things. The difference is, is that we get in the way of God's spirit doing the things that he is perfect at doing. Hear me clearly on that. You are not good at these things because of your flesh and your fallen nature. Yes, you can manufacture and you can fake it till you make it. But at the end of the day, you are not good at these things and they do not sustain You and I need the Spirit of God to be able to display these things. And the more that you and I get out of the way, the more that the Spirit of God is able to do what he is perfect at. I said it a month ago, and I'll say it again. It is not that we need more of God. We need to give more of ourselves to him. He is all present, all at work, all knowing. But we, in our fallen state, we struggle to yield to God and to be able to display the fruit of the Spirit that can be produced. We live much of our life like self-shackled prisoners with the keys in our hands, unwilling to admit that the real freedom, the real hope, the real joy, the real solution of our life is not found in our works or our grit or in our strength, but it is found in our surrender to the freedom that Christ Jesus has already purchased for us. 
That's where it comes from. But we spend our life fiddling with the lock, trying to get it to open, to go to the freedom, when at the end of the day, Christ has given you the keys in your hand. He just wants you to put it into action, which means that we have to deny ourselves. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now, when Paul uses this word crucifixion, when he uses the word crucify your flesh, his listeners of this understand crucifixion way better than we do. This is a part of their life that they live, especially if they're in close proximity to the city because crucifixion was a way in which they saw people die. A gruesome, horrible death on a cross on a regular basis. When Paul uses this word, crucify your flesh, his listeners are thinking of that gruesome act that people did not walk away from. When they were hung on a cross, they were killed there and then pulled from it and thrown into a pit to rot. The person on the cross did not go back home with the people that he came with. In the same way, when Paul says, crucify your flesh, this is the imagery that he wants us to understand. That he is saying, put it to death in the most gruesome of way so that it would stay there and rot and not come back home with you. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the denial of our flesh's passion and desires that allows us to walk in the freedom of the spirit. But in order to walk in victory, we must recognize that it takes the crucifixion of our flesh daily. This means that firstly, we acknowledge the fact that we are helpless to do anything apart from God. We are helpless to save ourselves from our sin. We acknowledge the fact that we have sinned. Might I say this to us today, the sooner we can get from the place of sin and rebellion to acknowledgement of those things, the faster that we're gonna be able to find freedom. The sooner that we're able to get to the place of acknowledgement that God wants me to do something and then I do it, the better that our life as a whole is gonna be because we're now living in alignment with him and not walking in the ways of defeat anymore. It's probably one of the biggest hurdles that we have to jump in our prideful, sinful flesh is that we really struggle to acknowledge that we've made mistakes, that we've sinned, that we need redirection. Paul says in Romans chapter seven, verse 18, he says, I know that in me, my flesh dwells no good thing. And do you remember Jesus's words, John 15, verse five, as he's talking about the vine and the branches, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, the act of recognizing our helplessness then should lead us to the second step in walking in victory, which is to pray. Now, this is not this dinner table prayer of God, thank you for our food, let's eat. 
This is me coming to God, acknowledging that I've fallen short and that I am in great defeat because of my sin and confessing to him these places that I need his victory in and asking him to lead me, to guide me, to direct my heart in such a way that I would no longer walk in that, but I would walk in the things that he desires for me to do. That I would know without a doubt that he hears me, that he's not embarrassed of my sin, that he already knows about it. And he desires for me to come to him with all of it. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden when they went and hid after they sinned? They acknowledged that they sinned, but they didn't go to the father that was seeking them out. And you remember what he said to them? He said, why are you hiding? Who told you these things? You see, in our verses this week, Acts chapter 17, it talks about how God has made everything in heaven and on earth, and he doesn't live in temples built by human hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. He is the solution that we need within our defeat. But we must acknowledge that we need him, and then we've got to go to him. And as we go to him, we trust him in the process of how he's going to work out that surrender in our life. And know that the denial of ourselves, the crucifixion of our flesh, it is not a pain-free process. It is difficult and oftentimes very burdensome to deny myself, (laughs) my passions, my desires, and to allow for God to redirect me. But we need to trust the fact that within his redirection, within his righteousness, within what he has provided for us, that he is working all of it out for our good. King David cried out to God. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Put in me a new spirit. He's saying, I want more of you and less of me. And it is only after that we've acknowledged it, that we've gone to him, that we've trusted him, that we are even able to put any of this into action. Action in the steps needed to flee from sin. John Piper says it this way. He says, the great problem in contemporary Christian living is not learning the right things to do, but how to do the right things. We hear it here that God desires more for my life, but then how do I do that? Well, oftentimes what we do is we make these radical action steps out of a rushed behavior to try and do the right thing. My wife always makes fun of me because this is how I uh, oftentimes live in our home and this is how I oftentimes live in my own life. Like if finances are tight and I know that we need to change some things, it is a radical change today, right? We go from just living however we want to live to we're going to rice and beans every night this week. We ain't doing nothing else. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't spending no gas. We're staying right here. I'm going to grow a food plot and that's what we're going to do. Same thing in in dieting or eating, right? Like I go from this place of like, all right, I'm just gonna do whatever, live however. And then all of a sudden I realize, man, I put on a couple pounds. Cool, I'm going to 300 calories a day. That's it. The rice and beans are gonna help with that, right? So we're killing two birds with one stone. But is that sustainable? It's not sustainable. 
And in the same way we do that in our own Christian walk with Jesus, when we gather here for our time in worship or we spend time out at a conference or a camp, we come back all fired up and convicted by the Spirit to live differently and be different. And so I'm gonna change everything all at once. And that lasts for like two weeks. And then we're right back into the same temptation. We're right back into the same defeat over and over again. And every time that it happens, we just feel more and more helpless that we'll never get past this. But what if I were to encourage us today to say that there's a different way to approach that? A way in which is not centered around us being able to just do it, but recognizing that God wants to do the work in it. That as I acknowledge him and pray to him, and trust him that he's gonna lead me to this action. He's gonna convict my flesh because that's really where the battle is. The battle's in here. And so as we look at how we do these things, the sexual sin of our life, the false worship, this internal and external conflict, the lack of self-control and things alike, we need to know that those things are not going away until Christ returns. They're gonna be knocking at the door every day. And we have proven that on our own, we do not have the ability to hold them back. And so let's stop pretending like we do. And instead, let us live convicted by the Spirit, not on our own, but with one another. Listen to Galatians 5 and how it ends with this charge. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with it. Let us not then become conceited, provoking, or envying each other. The truth is that you and I are not alone on this journey of life that God has given. But rather, as I walk, whether that is in moments of defeat or in moments of victory, God has not only given his self and his presence to me to walk in those places, but he's also given the body of believers to do the same. That we can come alongside one another, that we can spur each other on to love and good works. This is the purpose of the church, the beauty that we are even seeing right now in our groups that are meeting this fall. There's over 20 of them that meet at homes and in coffee shops. There were a dozen of them last night that met out on picnic tables in our student ministry. And these groups, these gatherings of people, their purpose is not just a social aspect or to make friends, those are nice, but the purpose of those groups is to get after Jesus together to be able to go into his scripture and into his word, to be convicted of the places that I am walking in defeat of, to be honest about those with my brothers and sisters, and then to walk faithfully together. It's to put Jesus at the center. Not my works, but Jesus at the center, who went to the cross for my sins and rose from the grave that he's the reason that I have hope both now as I walk and for eternity. You see, just as Paul is advocating here in Galatians and throughout his other letters, we do not pursue acceptance by our rule keeping or working towards his acceptance as oftentimes we have a small view of God to do. Rather, we walk in victory when we recognize the need that we have for the saving grace of Jesus 
initially through our surrender to him in baptism, which is not, is it not a beautiful picture of what surrender looks like? The full immersion of myself, the full depth of myself going under the water to be raised again, to walk in the newness of God, saying it is not about me, but I trust he, the God who has saved me through Jesus. And from there we walk and we live faithfully with his Holy Spirit that is now guiding us and convicting us and leading us to righteousness and holiness. I know of at least one today that has come ready to do so. And I know there are others that are in the same boat that have fought this battle, that are walking in defeat today because of your sin and do not have the lead of the Holy Spirit that needs to guide you and seal you for eternity. I would encourage you I would plead with you, do not walk out of the room today in defeat. Walk in victory that comes from Christ and Christ alone. And for those of you that have his spirit living inside of you, may we spend these moments together as the church gathered, searching the very inward pieces of our heart to say, God, where do you want to lead me? To no longer walk in the defeat of my flesh but to walk in the victory of the fruit that needs to be seen, not just internally, but externally to a world that is in desperate desire for something greater than what we can manufacture or create on our own. To God be the glory. Let's stand together. Lord, to you be that honor and glory, the one who has saved us from our rebellion and has given us a hope eternal. Father, I pray for the moments gathered in this space that we would cut away, not in our own work or our own grit or strength, but we would let your spirit do what it is that it's calling us to do, and that's to pursue you. God, we acknowledge our sin. We call upon you in this moment as the one who sees it and knows it. We trust that you're working it out in our life. And God, because of that, we're going to walk faithfully in victory. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to make a decision today, Jake will be right here to walk you through your next step of victory.